Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Over the next 20 minutes, our goal is to dig deeper into the themes and topics of the most recent Sunday teaching. We'll look to tackle some of the challenging kinds of questions that you may be thinking as you heard the message but didn't get the opportunity to ask the teacher at the time. So whatever you're doing right now, at the gym, driving, folding laundry, whatever it might be, we invite you to listen in as together we go Beyond the Sermon. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship at The Ridge, and I'm also your host for Beyond the Sermon. And with me today, I've Ridge Lead Pastor Mike Van Rees. Mike, welcome back. Privilege to be here with you, Will. Yes, good to have you back in the studio. Uh, Mike, this past Sunday, we continued our series in the Gospel of Luke, and you had us reflect on quite a well-known story of a paralytic man and his bold friends. And let's just say these men go to some great lengths to get their paralytic friend in front of Jesus, even if it meant a little bit of Casual vandalism. <laughs> That's a fair way to put it. <laughs> right? yes. Taking apart somebody's roof to, to lower him in front of Jesus. But uh, if you haven't read this that story, folks, be sure to check it out in Luke 5, 17 to 26. But Mike, at the beginning of your message, you said that this passage asks us, what are we willing to do to bring our friends to Jesus? And last week on the podcast, I I chatted with Julie Weeman about some of the challenges we face in sharing our faith in a culture that's gradually becoming more and more opposed to Christianity and the church. So what would you say are are some ways we can be stepping stones for our friends and family toward faith in Jesus? I think you you name something that is clear in the passage. It's easy to say, hey, the paralytic, cool, look at what happened. They rip open the roof. And that's the part of the story that I think we're kind of drawn to, Mm -hmm. but not to overlook None of this would have happened if it wouldn't have been for this guy's friends. Right. I do think that's one of the things that God is saying is God uses people in the lives of other people to bring us to Jesus. Mm. So that's a, a real primary thing that's going on here. None of this happens if this guy's friends didn't care enough to actually do some things that maybe were a little um, inconvenient for them to help their friend get to Jesus. So what are some ways, you know, to apply it for us? I think that that's a really good question, Will. And the first couple that come to my mind, I almost don't want to share because they're almost embarrassingly obvious. But I'll Sometimes do it anyway. those are the best ones, though, Mike. We just need to be reminded of it's, the basics, you know? They're easy to overlook. Right. But they're important. And I think I'd start with this one, be following Jesus. Seems really evident and obvious, but you see again and again and again the issue that people have with Christianity. It's not Jesus. For the most part, it's Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are we actually modeling the kind of life that Jesus would want, want us to be able to be living? Do they see the fruits of the Spirit uh, in us? So we've got to be following Jesus. That that would be the first really clear, obvious one. And the other one, again, super obvious to be able to name, but prayer. Am I praying for people in my life that don't know Jesus? Mm. You know, maybe I think about it, maybe I'm troubled by it, but do I actually, on a regular basis, invite God and ask God to be able to move in their life? Because what we believe is for that to happen, it's going to take the Holy Spirit, right? Mm. Moving in them and giving them, warming their hearts up so that mm. they have an openness to him. So essential, it is important for us. We we can't do everything, but we sure can pray for the people in our lives that that don't know Jesus. Yeah, no, I really love that. Coming back to your first point there about following Jesus, I think 
part of what happens there when we're walking um, after the Lord, when we're yielding our lives to Him and being transformed by the Holy Spirit, people do start to see that as though the heart of Christ is formed more and more in us. People begin to see Jesus in us. And I think that's, that's important on a number of levels, but one of them for me, Mike, is the fact that we can be the place whereby we can deconstruct misconceptions about Christianity. We can be that for people because there's a lot of ideas about what Christianity is out there that are not true or that people have had bad experiences with people who have said that they're following Jesus, but their life doesn't reflect that. We have an opportunity to kind of deconstruct some of those misconceptions and show people the heart of Christ, what God looks like. Yeah, and one of the ways that we can do that in a in a way that maybe is um, attractive for people outside of the faith is here are some things that we stand for. Mm. I think in the the current cultural climate, one of the best things we can do the invitational culture. There's a lot of opportunity to invite people to things. Uh, one of the the most receptiveness that we experience with people who are maybe outside of Christ is inviting people to outreach opportunities. Mm. Um, you know, it used to be like, oh, you know, th- that was for the people who are really hardcore followers of Jesus uh, 30 years ago. I think that one of the things that is switched is those can be some of the best front doors um, because it does take down some of the negative stereotypes of Christianity mm-hmm. that, hey, we draw a line and there's us and then there's them. But no, rather when they can see the heart of Christians that are actually helping this world and helping our community that does something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking for what what are some outreach things that I can invite people to? I think of things like love lunches, you know, mm-hmm. that we're every day we're just giving free lunches out to our community. This is a great thing, not just to say, that's cool that we're doing that. Is there a friend in my life that doesn't know Jesus that well, they might help that? Mm-hmm. People are gonna be open, they're gonna be more receptive to, yeah, I'll go help put together lunches and feed mm-hmm. people in our community who, who have needs, something like gardening for good, you know, mm. shoulder to shoulder, the thing we got going on in Africa. Mm-hmm. It's about helping that community be able to learn agriculture so that they can become self-sustaining. Mm. These kind of things, inviting people to say, here's some of the things that we're doing as a church, and there are places for you to be able to be involved and to help. I think that's a great front door that takes a lot of these stereotypes that we might have of Christianity or our you know, unbelieving friends and neighbors might have of Christianity. Just takes that down. Yeah. No, I love that. Super helpful. Mike, one thing you highlighted from this passage was Jesus' claim to be God, because he not only healed the paralytic man, he he actually first forgave his sins, and you know everyone there, they recognize, well, only God can forgive sins. So there are many people who I think feel comfortable with the idea that Jesus is, uh, he was a good moral teacher, and he had a lot of good things to say, his life was exemplary. But they feel it's a big stretch to claim that he was God. So what other evidence do we have that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh? Yeah, there's a lot of it. Um, Jesus is wildly popular today, which is wonderful. Mm. Um, But to be able to flesh that out, to realize, well, who did he say that he was? And who does history say that he was. Those are important things. And really good ways is you get into conversation with people to say, well, what do you do with that? Uh, the reality that Jesus um, claimed to be God, 
It's historical. It's biblical. If people will accept the Bible, this passage is one that I think is really quite clear on that. You know, mm-hmm. you get to this and we're like, oh, the paralytic, he was healed. He was forgiven. But when we kind of dig into it, one of the things that we recognize is this isn't just about this guy being forgiven. Really, that's not at the center of the passage. He didn't repent. He didn't confess his sins. Mm. He didn't profess his faith in Jesus. None of that, of these things that we would say, this is how you experience forgiveness, none of that happens in this passage. And I think the reason is because that's not the point of this passage. Mm. This isn't about how do we get forgiven. This is about who does the forgiving. Mm. And Jesus here, clearly, he's making the claim. The religious leaders got it. He's claiming, well, I've got the authority to do that because I'm God. There are a lot of other places in the Bible. There's the John 10 where he's talking about um, how he's the good shepherd, talking about what a shepherd is and and having that teaching with the people that are with him. The, again, he was kind of pushed on that by the religious leaders, and he makes the statement, I and the Father are one. Bold, you know, clear statement. Mm-hmm. Um, John 8 is where they're, he's casting out demons, and so he says, well, how are you able to do that? Are you a demon? Is that how this is working? And he uses the phrase, well, before Abraham, I am, mm-hmm. which was the name for God. Mm-hmm. So again, he's saying, I am God. Um, those are biblical reasons. So I think biblically, if people uh, will agree to the authority of the Bible, there are a lot of places that be able to say, yeah, Jesus did claim that he was God. There's also circumstantial Mm. evidence of this. So if you know, you're not so sure about where you're at with the Bible, just look at history. And I think one of the biggest ones is what happened at the end of Jesus' earthly life. Why, why was he so persecuted? Why was he such a threat? What mm. happened that led to his crucifixion? And I think, well, history will shows us that Jesus was executed, crucified, for the charge was blasphemy. Mm. Well, what does that say? Right. History tells us that Jesus was crucified, whether you agree with it or not, because he claimed to be God. If he mm. hadn't made that claim, wouldn't have gone down that path. So I do think that there's there's a lot of clarity that Jesus really did make this kind of claim. But there's a, a wave of revisionist history, mm. right, that'll look back. Oh, Jesus had a lot of good teaching, a lot of good things to say. Let's just kind of overlook the part mm. where Jesus claimed to be God. and that isn't a good representation of the facts. Yes. And looking back, obviously, at the resurrection as well, I mean, if we obviously we believe that the resurrection happened, the physical resurrection, and if that happened, then certainly Jesus was God. Yeah. Nobody overcomes yeah. death and doesn't have that divine authority, right. you know? And yeah. so we look back and, and see that also. But it's more, it's even more than just the event of the resurrection. It's the fact that Looking back over history, you know, something major happened there. Something major happened there. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it's it's kind of like a hard time explaining the last two thousand years of of where billions and people of people have claimed to experienced God and the power of God in their life and relationship with Jesus. And so, uh, I think that's another thing that I often think about of, of Jesus' claim. That he knew he was going into the grave for three days and would be raised up again, and uh, and yeah, we believe that that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and who does that? Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. So, okay, one last question. So Jesus had the authority to forgive sin. And you talked uh, about uh, just the encouragement, really, of the fact that we can experience forgiveness, even of our of our darkest sins. And yet often, Phil, our sin has consequences beyond our own personal sphere. And what I'm thinking about here is the fact that sometimes we, in our past, we've maybe hurt others, you know, as, as we've sinned, and that can have a lasting impact. So how do we go about living in the light of God's forgiveness? yet also be sensitive to the fact that it may take others' time to heal from the hurt we caused them. How do we how do we navigate that? Yeah, I really like that's a real, uh, holistic question to recognize we can experience forgiveness. Truly, you know, that's something that we see again and again and again in the Bible. But there is another side to that because there really are typically two people that are involved in in these offenses. There's one, the offender, mm. and then there is the offended. Mm-hmm. And if, when we're the offender, um, we do. That's the path of repentance and confession and accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross and receiving grace and forgiveness. And that is a is a a vital part of the Christian faith and one that we can really embrace and be thankful for. But what you bring up, Will, is that there is another side to that. And even though we've experienced uh, as the offender forgiveness, and now we're at a place of peace, well, our offense still caused some harm. Mm-hmm. In some way, what we did, well, it hurt somebody. For for most of sin, that's the way it goes. There might be a few that that didn't actually wound someone else, but the majority of them really does in some way create some form of damage. And uh, you bring up the reality that what do we do about that? And it's true. We can experience forgiveness and be grateful for that. But a lot of times we have created wounds and we've created pain in the life of somebody else. Well, what can we do about that? Mm. Um, Like to say we can change that, but we can't. Right. Um, we can't take away what we've done, and we can't um, heal the wounds uh, that we've caused other people to have. So, one of the things we can't do is, you know, the, play the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in this. Um, we can feel relief and gratitude that we've been forgiven, but what do we do with the people that we've been that we've hurt? I think that if I, I look at biblically where God encourages us to go with that, the one I think about, like the passage, I think it's um, Matthew five, where He says, uh, "Before you go and worship and offer a sacrifice uh, in, in the temple, make sure that you've reconciled with anyone that you've offended," mm-hmm. and. The, the idea there is the reality that, yep, our sins, that they do hurt other people. And he's saying our part, what we can do is, well, apologize. Mm-hmm. You know, take responsibility, take ownership. Is there anyone in my life that I've heard that God has maybe asked me to take ownership and to apologize for? Mm-hmm. Now, what happens after that? that's out of our hands too. And I think Mm. some of that is situational and might depend on how deep the offense was. Mm. You know, if my, if the offense was gossip, the consequences of that are going to be different than if the, um, if the offense was abuse, Mm. um, that might take a lot longer if ever to be able to bring healing and reconciliation to. So I do think there's an aspect of that situational. We can offer, take responsibility and apologize. Mm. Um, pray for the people, and it's really going to be 
asking God to be able to provide the healing of those wounds. Yes. There's two things that come to mind uh, for me on this. One is recognizing that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. I sometimes feel like I think people have those kind of rolled into one to forgive somebody, then suddenly you're all friends again. And those those things are two very different things. Um, We can receive forgiveness, we can give forgiveness, but reconciliation sometimes is something that's worked out over years sometimes. It's very different. And then the other thing I think I would say is the recognition that trust is built up incrementally. You know, it's almost kind of like you're, you, that's why we call it building trust because it, it, it takes a lot of moments or putting your hand in somebody's and, and trusting them. A lot of instances of that to build up deep trust. I mean, think of the closest friendships that you have. The trust has been built up over decades you know, in, in some cases. And so we have to be recognized that, that sometimes when we hurt people, that that trust um, can be damaged and it takes time, you know, to, to build that back up again. And uh, sometimes never to the, the, the place that it was, but it doesn't mean that there can't be some sort of restoration of trust. Yeah, that's a good word, Will, and I think it take, there's patience along with that, too, because trust is something that takes time to mm-hmm. rebuild. What step can I take to be able to work toward rebuilding trust in this relationship and realize it's not going to happen uh, overnight? Be patient, and what can I do a step at a time? But yeah, yeah, good word. Well, Mike, thanks so much, as always, for your time today and just all the effort that goes into to crafting these sermons. We really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Uh, just before you go, I want to draw your attention to our newest series on the Ridge University podcast. Recently, I had some conversations with Ridge Marketing and Communication Manager, Dean Logan. And we talked around uh, some challenging aspects of faith. We explored questions like, why should I trust the Bible? Why does God allow suffering? Does God really exist? Uh, So be sure to check that out. That's on our Ridge University podcast channel. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you'll join us next time on Beyond the Sermon. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week. I want to mention one last thing before we go. Our heart at the Ridge is to help people grow in their relationship with God. There are so many ways to get connected into what can be life-changing environments for you and your family. The best way to keep in touch with all that is happening is through our website, ridgelife.org, but also through our weekly e-news. You can sign up to receive this directly to your inbox using the link in our podcast show notes. Finally, thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please feel free to share with friends or family. We hope to catch you next time on Beyond the Sermon.